Welcome to Word Matters, presented by the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Word Matters is a podcast dedicated to helping Christians understand some of the most confusing and controversial passages of the Bible. And now, join the conversation with your hosts, Trevin Wax and Brandon Smith. Does Jesus prohibit oath-taking? This is the question we'll answer on this episode of Word Matters. I'm Brandon Smith, brand manager for the HCSB, and I'm here with my co-host, Trevin Wax, managing editor of The Gospel Project. And uh, today we have a special guest with us, Dr. Scott McKnight, the uh, prolific New Testament scholar who teaches at Northern Seminary in Lombard, Lombard, Illinois? Yep. Lombard, Illinois. Lombard. Well, thanks for jumping on with us, Scott. We appreciate it. Good to be with you. Scott, we're we're thrilled to have you join us today for a discussion about um, one of the puzzling statements that Jesus makes in the Sermon on the Mount. One of well, there's a lot of hard sayings of Jesus in the in the sermon, uh, but I, I want to before we jump into the particular text we're going to look at in this episode. I I just want to make a recommendation to our listeners. Um, Scott's commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. It's part of the Story of God commentary series is fantastic. Um, one of the things that I do every year uh, when I go on vacation with the, the family, usually we go down to the Gulf Coast, um, go to, to the beach sometime in May or June, and every year I, I bring along a, some commentary on the Sermon on the Mount uh, to work through devotionally in the mornings. Um, just It's a, a yearly annual thing, and so I'm always looking for another one. And um, Scott, I I enjoyed yours almost as much as I did John Stotts. It's just it's right up there uh, with Stotts for me. So I appreciate the the hard work that you've you've done on it, and uh, even in the few of the places in there where I I would come to different conclusions or interpretations, still so appreciated the way uh, that you were you were trying to help us understand the the voice and vision of Jesus there. Well, thanks, Trevor. I'm honored, and I'm uh, very much honored to be in the company of John Stott. I think uh, Stott was the second commentary on the Sermon on the Mount I ever read. The first one I read was by, I guess, a commentary, was by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And hmm. uh, uh, when I was in college, I read his great book on the cost of discipleship, where he's got that brief commentary. So... I love John Stott's commentary. I, I, I think I differ with him now a little bit more than I did then, but uh, I'm honored. There's uh, also a recommendation I'd make to listeners is there's a, a great book. I, I, I think it's Brazos Press is the one that publishes it, but called The Sermon on the Mount Through the Centuries. Yeah, and yeah. has some That's great contributions one. there, just great history of how the sermon has been interpreted has been interpreted over time throughout church history. Yeah, I think that was a Wheaton Theology Conference, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. That's right. I yeah, forgot about that. That's a good that. one. Yeah, that's good. All right, well, let's jump into the text here. Uh, so today we're dealing with a passage in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, as you might have guessed by now, uh, where Jesus appears to forbid all oath-taking on behalf of his followers. So it kind of comes in that point of the sermon where Jesus is explaining the law, he's illuminating its ultimate meaning, uh, that whole the section of, you know, you've heard it said, but I say to you. So Trevin, you want to read, read that one? That's right. So we're looking at Matthew five thirty-three through 37. And just for context, we, we need to make sure that uh, we, we keep this in the context of what comes right before this. Jesus has just spoken about lust and adultery and then divorce. So, of course, the oath uh, or the uh, the marriage vow is in view here. And then he goes uh, on into this section about oath taking right before 
he moves on then to retaliation, you know, the eye for an eye section. So here's Matthew 5, 33 through 37 uh, in the HCSB. Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne, or by the earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Neither should you swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your word yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Yeah, so Scott, this this seems to, kind of on the surface, um, be a just straight up clear prohibition of Jesus' followers ever making any kind of oath. So maybe you can help us understand maybe throughout church history how this is interpreted, um, maybe from the early church, Constantinian Christianity, things like that. Well, look, you, you hear you hear something like this, and as Americans who live in a, in a system where if we have to go to court, we have to swear that we're telling the truth, uh, you hear this and you say, well, that's not really the way we would practice it today. And so in the history of the church, uh, and what I mean by that is I think a lot of people would say, uh, what? Well, we can't really live like this. Uh, and in the history of the church, the clarity of Jesus's words, along with the complication of his words, has led plenty of Christians to find alternative interpretations that accommodate themselves to culture and in essence uh, somehow go directly against what Jesus is saying. So. Uh, you know, in the history of the church, um, you would have, uh, you even have Paul uh, making a vow. You have uh, Constantine creating a legal system in which uh, oaths and vows were taken. And then you have Martin Luther. And I think Luther's view is, at some level, pretty typical. And I think it's what most instinctively think we should do today. And that is, in a legal court, it's okay to do that because it's required. But in our personal life, we should avoid all these sorts of oaths. So here's the way I would put it. It's, it's pretty clear when you read it, uh, but it makes life more difficult and complicated in, when, when the legal system gets involved. That's actually one of the things, Scott, that I, I really appreciate about your commentary um, you you never want to muzzle Jesus. You don't want him to. You don't want to soften the radical sayings. You don't. You want us to feel the full weight of just what he's saying. So, um, I, so I'm curious exactly what your take is on this passage. Is Jesus forbidding all kinds of oaths in all kinds of situation? Uh, what is he? What is he getting at? What's the big vision that Jesus is setting before us as he uh, delivers this prohibition in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, let me put it this way. Uh, when you and I read this text, we feel an ambivalence. We feel maybe guilt. We feel difficulty. We, we struggle. And I think it can be said without any question that that had to be how the first century Jewish followers of Jesus in the Galilee would have heard the same statement. They lived in a world where words were scaled. And that's why Jesus brings up heaven and Jerusalem and the footstool and all, and all these things. is because in 
in Jesus's world, Jews scaled their words uh, depending upon the severity of the importance of, of what they were making a promise about. So when you and I feel odd with the words of Jesus, when they confront us that way, I believe that's exactly the way we're supposed to feel. Uh, so he, certainly the first century uh, Jewish people felt that. We feel that. And, and I don't want to minimize that. I, I want to feel that, uh, that kind of tension with the way we do things in our society. You know, we have to sign our name because then it's legal and then we can, then we are legally accountable to our words. All right, so let me back off now and say how I think I would read this text or how I do read this text. And, uh, and that is, I don't believe Jesus was giving a vision to his followers of how to live, in a sense, in a broken world. I don't think he was saying, now, this world is very difficult, so you're going to have to adjust things. I believe in the Sermon on the Mount, we hear Jesus' uh, full-throated uh, theory of how we are to live as followers of Jesus in the kingdom of God. And so we hear this kind of statement, and we say, well, I don't live like that. And I think Jesus wants us to, to say, but kingdom people live this way because kingdom people are going to live this way in the kingdom, and it is time for us now to start living a kingdom reality. So I think we hear Jesus saying, in the kingdom of God, people are going to tell the truth, and only the truth is going to be told. So we are to be truth-tellers in all we say and do. I think that's what Jesus wants us to hear from that text. He wants us to be known as truth-tellers and to be people who tell the truth. So uh, do you think that some of the other passages of Scripture that, uh, that get pulled out in seeming contradiction or at least tension with this passage, you know, Paul making a vow or you know, appealing to God as his witness or um, God himself making oaths in the Old Testament or Abraham. Do you, do you see that as intention with this or do you, are you taking the, the approach that the prohibition is actually the positive vision of us being truth tellers and not needing to rely on oaths? Our word should be so solid in, in the way it stands. I, I like that latter one, Trevin. I think that's the way to look at it. Uh, this does not mean that there aren't going to be complications for us in this world. Um, you know, everybody asks the question: uh, Should the, the uh, you know, should the people who were hiding Anne Frank on a front, uh, should they have said, "Yes, uh, we have Jews in our in our attic"? Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer tells the story of a child going to school. And the teacher asking the child, is your, is your father uh, an alcoholic? And Bonhoeffer, uh, notoriously sitting in prison in Tegel in Berlin under Hitler, having participated at some level in the conspiracy and clearly uh, not entirely living according to the truth the way a, a rigorous uh, might say, uh, said that you have to weigh words in context according to the person who's asking you, according to the person who's being asked, according to the situation. And he was hardly 
uh, a situation ethicist. I mean, that's just not the way Bonhoeffer mm -hmm. lived. But he's, he's recognizing something about a broken world where truth-telling sometimes may do damage. So I think we have to recognize that these are problems in our world. But we as Christians, I think, are to practice truth-telling and, and to work against systems that assume people don't tell the truth so that we are not implicated in systems uh, uh, that are not telling truth. I, I've been to court. I've been asked to swear on a Bible, and I've said to the judge, uh, um, uh, sir, I, I want always to tell the truth, and and they don't they don't require that you uh, swear on a Bible. Uh, so I I think we want to work for a system, a world, a church, a life where truth telling is the way we live naturally, the way we live all the time, so that we don't need buttressing and scaling of words. I think that's Jesus' vision. Does it create tension? Yes, it does. I, I can live with that tension because I think Jesus uh, took us here to the very tops of Mount Pisgah to see it all. And that's where we're headed to be constant truth tellers. Okay, so let's, let's wrap it up here. Last question for you. Um, we always try to end each podcast saying, okay, how do we preach, teach, uh, share these truths uh, presented in a difficult text like this. So you're, you're teaching this in a church or you're a small group leader. You're working through this with people in your church. Uh, what would you say to somebody? So you said, you know, going to court didn't seem like you had, had a problem with the oath taking, the actual act itself in court. Uh, maybe you have a judge in your church who presides over a courtroom. Maybe you have somebody in your church who has been in a situation where, you know, maybe the, the, the age old example of, um, the woman is hiding at her neighbor's house and the husband calls and says, is my wife there? I'm going to come kill her. Do you say no? She shouldn't come here. Or, you know those kind of questions. Um, what does that look like practically if you're teaching this to somebody and how it should work out in their lives? And in these actual the exception rules or the types of things of living in a broken world, not just the the kind of big the big vision of honesty. Yeah, I was waiting for Trevin to respond to me. I'm I'm a professor <laughs> waiting for 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 his view to come come to the top. I stole his thunder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, those are very difficult situations. Uh, you know, if someone said to me, is, is, uh, is his wife over there, he's going to come kill him, uh, I think I would, there's no way I would tell that person that, you know, that, that it, I, would, I do, would not want to reveal something that I knew would lead directly to violence or murder. Hmm. Uh, so I, I think I would be careful uh, with judges. I don't. I I've never known a judge personally, although yeah, I guess in a sense, my great uncle was a judge, and, but I don't. I was too young to think about it. Uh, I would love to have a conversation like this with a judge, and I would want to get the judge to realize the implication of this system, uh, although he's bound by law where that system has been implicated uh, in dishonesty. I would want him to be able to use his his position to look people in the eye and say, you know, I, I just want you to tell the truth. I don't care if you swear on a Bible. I don't care if you tell me you're going to tell the truth. Uh, our world works best when everybody tells the truth. Uh, I, I would want to do that. Uh, I would, you know, rather than, I don't want to create, this is an odd thing. 
we have really created systems where we're doing just exactly what Jesus told us not to do. And so I don't want to implicate myself in that system. I want to be a person who tells the truth, and I want to work for a world where truth is assumed, honesty is assumed, and that we can uh, assume that other people will tell the truth in our context. To, to me, Scott, this sounds this sounds like you're taking a a modified Anabaptist approach that w- it's different than Luther, who said, "Oh, we'll just we'll just make the distinction between legal and personal." Which which to me is his his version of this is problematic because it appears to me that in Scripture Jesus is actually focusing on the legal uh, yeah, in the way yeah, he's yeah. he's scaling up and talking about the unjust system yeah. now. The the hardline Anabaptist then wants to be so totally removed from the system. You know, an Anabaptist, I, I I don't think the the strictest would would say that you can be a judge or a lawyer or 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 in a court system because the court system itself taints you and implicates you. But what what I hear you saying is that you would rather the Christian embrace those complications and the tension of working within that system, though, toward the kingdom vision that Jesus is setting out, however difficult and messy and complicated that may be, you you, you are striving toward the uh, full-blown honesty that Jesus has on display here as, as, as calling his kingdom people to. Is that is that right? I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I'm. I would think that my view is pretty typical for Anabaptists. I, I've never had a conversation with a Mennonite in Lancaster County about this sort of thing. <laughs> uh, but I, I would say that most Anabaptists would agree with this: is that there's a, a necessity at times for us in certain contexts to participate in a world where we might ask to be relieved of that, but still participating in that legal system. So, yeah, I, I would say it's probably, it's not a, a radical uh, uh, Anabaptist view, but it is, it is hardly a Lutheran view or hardly a view that says uh, that we're going to separate our lives morally as Christians from the legal setting. I don't want to do it that way. I want to work toward a, a system where everything is honest. Well, I appreciate that, Scott. I think that's a, that's a good word for us. And uh, for our, our listeners, one, one thing I would add, uh, if you're preaching this text or teaching on this text, um, it can be very easy in going through this text to suddenly start focusing all of your attention on either exceptions yeah. or on the complications. Right. And most people are not going before a court every day to to swear on a Bible or to you know making an oath or whatnot. the the real The real power of what Jesus says here that I I think we don't want to miss when we're teaching on this is to say, um, and until you hold up this vision of what Jesus is saying, you are going to miss the fact that we are implicated in all sorts of falsehood and untruth and so-called white lies and things like that in our everyday life that have nothing to do with oaths, just dishonesty being part and parcel of our life to the point that it's even expected. And so um, my, my recommendation for those listening who are, who are going to teach on this passage, definitely you got to deal with the, the oaths and the legal aspect because Jesus does. Uh, but, but let's not miss the, the greater picture of honesty that should cause us as believers to 
rethink our lives, what our words, what we say in, in our everyday lives, not just in those moments where we're in a, in a court system. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I, I think if I had to summarize what this passage is intended to communicate to us from the words of Jesus, he would, I think he would say to us, always tell the truth. Yep. That's a, that's definitely, and definitely you're, a good and you're word. hung up right there. That's, <laughs> that's what we need to hear. That's a good word, Scott. Well, thank you so much for jumping on with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Trevor, for joining me, and thank you all for listening. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Word Matters is presented by the Holman Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is faithful to the original languages but clear for today's readers. Find out more at hcsb.org.